Welcome to Tiber's Watchcast, an audio companion to the Substack movie newsletter Tiber's Watchlist at tiberswatchlist.substack.com. I'm a film critic and author with four decades of experience, and the Watchcast is an excuse to invite friends and colleagues over to talk about movies and genres and TV shows and music and weird pop culture stuff. So, hi, we're back, uh, Tiber from Tiber's Watchlist and Meredith Goldstein of the Boston Globe. And we are still talking about romantic comedies and movie romances because that's what, well, you know, we, we're doing this, uh, you know, we're recording conversations that we would be having anyway that we used to have around the halls of the Boston Globe. Um, so this is fun and easy, and I hope you find it enjoyable to listen to as well. We have talked about a J-Lo rom-com. Made in Manhattan. We previously talked about a classic uh, romance, uh, I Know Where I'm Going from 1945, one of my favorite all-time movies. Uh, Today, we're going to talk about a genre, a very specific genre of romantic drama, primarily romantic drama more than romantic comedy, and that is the, the magic romance, where there's some element of fantasy that is either keeping the two protagonists apart are pushing them together, and it doesn't have to make sense. And in fact, you might agree with me, Meredith, when I say that it often is a more enjoyable movie when it doesn't make sense. Yes, and this is my favorite, favorite kind of rom-com or drama, but however you want to... Why? I love magic, and I, I love romance because of, you know, working, writing about relationships, and I think that when you are feeling love or remorse after a breakup, it feels out of this world in a particular way. You know, these feelings are so big, they are larger than life. So I love when they are blown up in a film like this. I love um, movies, Groundhog Day movies, where people have to experience things over and over. Mm -hmm. I love people who can't find each other. You know, I think that to be in the thick of a romantic relationship, um, especially at the beginning of the end, can feel... Um, not real sometimes. And sometimes even in the middle of a relationship, you can say, "Is this who is this person? And so I think mm. that I have always just loved, loved anything that feels um, like magic could be involved because I think mag- yeah. magic might be involved in yeah. real life. So, uh, yeah. I mean, for, for me, a romantic drama or a romantic comedy has to almost bend the laws of physics if it's going to really ascend to that level of emo- uh, that pitch of emotional uh, intensity that uh, we kind of want in these movies. Uh, we want to be taken off swooning to some place where the magic happens. Let's maybe tick off some of the genres within this genre and some of the representatives. So you've got the we're repeating every day until we get it right, mm-hmm. which is Groundhog Day or the more recent edition of that, Palm Springs, mm-hmm. which is one of my favorite movies from recent years. What else is there? Uh, I mean, there is, it could have happened this way, which would be my sliding doors, you know, mm. I, as as an advice columnist and someone who deals with people in real life who have breakups, anytime anybody gets dumped, I tell them to watch Sliding Doors. Uh, Because, (laughs) why? well, because, listen, without giving away, I highly recommend watching it. It's not a, you know, listen, you'll, if you're not a Gwyneth Paltrow fan, you will, you'll just, you'll deal. But, you know, it's like, for anybody who feels like they wasted time in a bad relationship, Mm -hmm. and now I've wasted all this time, 
the movie basically makes the case of, well, you didn't because you don't know what would have happened had you left the relationship earlier. So, you know, that, that Sliding Doors is a movie where we see Gwyneth Paltrow's character catch a train and then not catch a train. The doors are mm-hmm. literally sliding. There are actually a, a bunch of doors that slide open and closed in that movie, just just so you know what the, what the metaphor is. But <laughs> what, one of her lives where she gets rid of her bad boyfriend sooner seems she's better off. And so you're rooting for that one to be real, whereas the other one, her progress is so much slower. And yet in, in the end, we sort of learn that we're on a path we're meant to take, right? So it, it's, a, it's a real good healing movie, I think, for breakups. So, um, but that's, that's something. Like, it's, it's almost a misconnections kind of film, but it's the what if it happened mm-hmm. differently. Right. And the misconnections, well, there are two versions of that. Well, you know, would you call Serendipity a magic I, rom-com? I would call Serendipity a magic rom-com because— there is no way these two people would find each other. The world is small. It's not that small. But I would say that even in moments where serendipity is not magical, it is meant to feel magical. It is meant that the, the score, the, the, the way it's shot suggests, you know, listen, any movie that pretends there is a the one for all of this, for all of us, right, is, is leaning into magic, however, however that happens. So I would, I would put it in there. I'm, I'm thinking of, is it? The Family Man. I'm thinking of a Matthew McConaughey movie where, or is it Nicolas Cage, where he sort of wakes up having married uh, Tia Leone. Um, it's all coming back to me now. But basically, uh, where Nicolas Cage. I don't know why I just put Matthew. Probably because we're talking about rom coms, and I just throw Matthew McConaughey in sometimes. But well, you know, to me, all Matthew, all Matthew McConaughey rom coms blend into one for me. How to lose a guy and. In in ex girlfriends, I'm trying to think of all the names of like girl ghosts of girlfriends past. It you know I think that um that movie, while not my favorite, uh, with Nicolas Cage is like a family man. Uh, yeah, what if I had been with the right person? Scrooged wonders about right. that. It takes a Christmas Carol and says like, what if I hadn't been a jerk with with that wonderful woman? You mm-hmm. know, um, so mm-hmm. that I think that's a particular kind of of genre. And then the ones that play with time. And one of the ones we, we've talked about before, and it's one of our favorite movies, and that's The Lake House mm-hmm. with Keanu Reeves and Sandra Bullock, where they live in the same house, but two years apart. And so they're sending each other letters through a magic mailbox outside the house. Yes. That's somehow, of course, logical. I mean, sometimes mailboxes are magical. So what are you going to do? <laughs> uh, love it because it doesn't make sense. Better because it doesn't make sense, as you've said. Mm-hmm. Absolutely in its own category of like, wait, what? But it works. I think so. And then, of course, a different kind of time travel love story, which we're going to focus on today, which I also love. Would you like to introduce it? Well, I mean, I think, you know, when you talk about the time traveler's wife, you have to talk about Rachel McAdams. And as many people have noticed over the last few years is she's a guide for men in many movies who are dealing with issues Mm -hmm. of time travel, uh, Dr. Strange being one of them. Um, if you haven't seen the movie About Time, mm-hmm. it is it is a pair with this one in so many ways. But Time Traveler's Wife basically is a, about a woman and a man who fall in love and he has a genetic issue where he sort of falls back and forward in time. So he can disappear. What does he call it? A genetic acronalism or something? Some, he actually, yes. I, I, I have the sound clip. I'm a geneticist. And I have a genetic anomaly. It's called chrono impairment. 
That's a term you came up with, apparently. That's what she says. Of course, now I've mentioned it, you will call it that. It'll be hard to tell which came first. Yeah, so that's 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 what it is. So he's he's got it all diagnosed, and uh, he basically will just disappear and show up elsewhere. And usually he blips, not to borrow from the Marvel verse, but he blips to a an important memory, an important place. He will uh, visit the woman he loves when she is young. And therefore, we follow this story when we sort of have them meet. She has already met him. And all of these pieces of where he shows up wind up coming into place by the end of the film. It's one of these movies with somebody falling in and out of time that when you watch it after a while, you're like, wait a minute, is this super creepy? Here is this character, right? This guy. It's creepy right from the beginning. I'm sorry. Right from the beginning where he is... Talking to naked this, in a bush, well, okay. talking to a six-year-old girl. Talking to a six-year-old girl that he knows he will fall in love with, and it and it, it, it right. and so he's talking to her at all stages of her life, and she grows up to some extent. If you're incredibly cynical about it, being groomed by the older version of yes. him to love him, she has loved no one else because from the time she is little, there's this man who magically appears and puts finds. So I think we should say that anytime he blips out of his life into the past or future, he shows up naked. Yeah. Well, I was saying this to, you know, someone in my life was sort of watching over my shoulder and I said, you know, this movie would have such a different vibe if he didn't show up naked. And this person said, oh, well, it's it's Terminator rules. <laughs> you, yeah, but that's a rather different uh, vibe to- going on. Totally different vibe. But I was like, I mean, it was like the shrugging off of like, well, clearly when you go back in time, you show up naked. So. <laughs> Uh, and I'm sure it was in the book. I actually have not read Time Traveler's Wife, which was a book uh, in such a long time. But it, it it attempts, you know, when you when you play with characters meeting at different ages, whether it's Benjamin Button or mm-hmm. the movie that is still an obsession to this day, Kate and Leopold. Right. Take a beat. Google it. If you haven't, if you've forgotten or have never seen it, um, these stories tend to get creepy. Um, I think in Kate and Leopold, a a from my memory, Hugh Jackman has fallen forward in time. Correct. And falls in love with Meg Ryan. And then to some extent, you find out she was dating her own grandson in Leah Schreiber. Like when you start connecting these people through generations, it gets, whether it's grooming a younger character or actually we've been related this whole time, it gets weird pretty fast. It gets weird. And I want to read you a line from my original uh, 2009 Boston Globe review. Oh, Time Traveler's Wife. I just had to put in this advisory. Young girls who see this movie should probably probably be cautioned. If a naked man speaks to you from a bush and tells you he's your one true love, do not go with him, even if he looks like Eric Bana. It's good advice. I did think about it as I as I watched it. Like, what a pickup line to be like, <laughs> I've come from the future. We're already married. And... I know everything about you and I'm deeply in love. And and I think right. one of the things they try to do to make this slightly less creepy is I think one of the first times we see them, she has in fact picked him up. She she goes up to an unsuspecting yes. Eric Bennett in in a library because of course hot guys love libraries, right? And of course right. he's like in special collections, how beautiful, right? And he's she she's basically like, Hey, we know each other. You told me to be I've got the sound clip. Ah, play it, please. Could we pretend just for a minute that this is the first time we've met? Okay. Sure. 
It's just that... It's just that you're my best friend. I've been in love with you all my life. You know, she's basically picking him up, and she's using the line. We already know each other, we're already in love, and now we're, now I'm going to come home to your apartment. Really, really easy work <laughs> for him. But this movie is also incredibly sad, and, you know, like About Time, which is a movie about another man courting Rachel McAdams, it is not so much to me a movie that is just a love story. It is absolutely a family grief story. Yes. And a, a movie about and About Time, in my opinion, does this beautifully about, well— we we can't have these experiences forever. And yet when people leave our lives, they tend to seem like they hover and maybe they do, right? Whether you're um, a spiritual person or not, they're, they're, we have memories. We have we are visited through our memories. So when I actually make them both not romances and think about them as stories about families and generations not being able to spend an eternity together, they're actually both quite lovely. It's actually the romantic parts mm-hmm. that make me creeped out. It is specifically in Time Traveler's <laughs> Wife. Rewatching this movie, I thought a lot about Eric Bana as a as a star, and I wondered, um, sort of, they're remaking Time Traveler's Wife as a television show, as far as I know, right now. And yes, um, with Theo James, which Theo James might be the Eric Bana of. I don't <laughs> is that, and I don't mean that as a compliment or an insult. It's just sort of a, a statement I'm making. I, I, what, tell me what you think about the casting. Uh, who's playing the? Um... Well, even just of 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 Time Traveler's Wife. Circa oh. Rachel McAdams. Oh my goodness! I mean, it does have a, a, a quite a wonderful cast. Uh, yeah, Arliss Howard as his dad, who. Um, oh, and Stephen Tobolowski. Stephen Tobolowski, the wonderful character Ned Ryerson, Ned Ryerson. in Groundhog Day, being as the doctor. There always has to be a scientific expert, um, who in this case uh, becomes an expert on chrono impermanence, which is is his condition, and uh, so he, you know, he's the sort of sage. Uh, science guy in the background of this movie nodding his head and whenever we need a kind of sciencey expl- explanation for what's going on they bring him on yeah i he's he's such great casting i mean the arc banner thing i i think i have mixed feelings about it but to me this is so rachel mcadams's movie and i don't know oh yes and and i think that you know, so many we have talked about i know in the past about how in these sort of straight romance movies that sometimes the men are less important. You would think that in this movie it would be very important, but he's sort of a, a quiet character because he never quite knows where he is. And you, you, it, it takes a little bit of adjustment to remember: is this this character in the present, or is it, there's a, a one of the creepier scenes? I think is when after a marital fight, many years into their marriage, <laughs> he sort of mm-hmm. has a, a it makes a decision that betrays her, and then falls back in time and proceeds to have at least make out with her while she's quite young. I think she's 18 in one of the scenes. Like he goes back yes. and and yep. she remembers it later. Like they're constantly sleeping with each other at, at weird Benjamin Button age differences. And um, right. Yeah. That's their first kids. Well, then later she does something that is also equally creepy. Oh, they, yes. I mean, if you can like yeah. find your spouse at different moments in, in time and manipulate them and, be older than them and then younger than them. It is very, um, I I don't know what it's supposed to say about marriage, but it's real messed up. (laughs) Well, I'll I'll tell you one, you know, despite the title, he's supposedly the main character. We see most of the action through his eyes, but it really is about her. Yes. Um, It's really about a woman living with an inconstant man who literally, you don't know when he's, you you can't rely on him. You don't know when he's going to disappear. 
And, uh, you know, and, and in addition, at the end, there's a whole, uh, you know, as you say, spiritual thing going on about grief and memory. But while their relationship is proceeding, once they meet, they get together, the meat of their relationship, the, this whole, whole middle section of the movie is her trying to live with somebody she can't rely on. And I think as all melodramas do, they speak to real situations in the lives of their fans, of the people who go to see them, which traditionally are, you know, if we go back to the studio days and we you know what they pejoratively called women's pictures and which are almost always glorious melodramas, that audience was primarily female. And they're seeing their emotional situations hashed out in creative ways. And to me, this, that's what this movie is about, is how do you live with a really sweet guy who can't be trusted to be there? And, and I think that is absolutely true. And I think as much as it is primarily this sort of grief story and that it, it, it you start the movie feeling so magical about this. This guy shows up. I can mm-hmm. see why a young woman girl would be like, wow, this magic man, right? Who is what, what you start seeing as a superpower in the beginning becomes Correct. annoying where she's actually, I'm annoyed. And when you disappear for weeks on end in your little time travel, I have a life. Right. And, that makes me think of another magical ro- romantic movie or a movie about yes, romance, yes. Uh, the one I love. Refresh my memory. It's the Mark Duplass, uh, Elizabeth Moss movie, where which is yes. the director is Charlie McDowell. Charlie McDowell, yes. I believe that movie you told me to watch. Uh, but yeah, and it is, okay, this is a look at marriage after the, the shine has sort of worn off. And these two characters uh, go to a sort of marriage therapy house recommended to them by a character played by Ted Mm -hmm. Danson. And what they find, I don't want to spoil that movie. It's too weird, but basically what they find there (laughs) is potentially another version of their marriage. Um, And what does that look like? And so there, there was also a feeling to me of, you know, is this about the unreliability of a partner and sort of coping with it. Is it also about grief and loss and what that looks like and, and revisiting people who've already left us. And then also it is some stuff you used to do seemed cool. And now I think it's annoying. And, and Mm -hmm. how do I cope with that? Right. So, so there are some really like winning things about this movie, particularly Rachel McAdams just in general, because like, you know, I, I, there's so many movies where you're like, Oh, that's the Rachel McAdams, you know, so many people talk about the notebook and that's not it for me. It's performances. Like I like the notebook. (laughs) I I find the notebook to be like, I find every Nicholas Sparks storyline to be like a super bummer. So this about time, like these are about time might be up there for me, but yeah, for a story that should be about him, it's so much about her and the magic of it. Um, and this, you know, and, and it doesn't just stop with will they or won't they fall in love? They, they start this movie in love. They've they've Correct. fallen in love 40 times probably by the time they start this. So what like domestic normal life will they find? You know, this is a story about can they make a family? Can they make a house? Uh, there is mm-hmm. a great scene uh, sort of back to the futureish scene, which is like for one split second, he has to decide whether he's going to use his future knowledge in an, in an inethical mm-hmm. way and buy a lottery ticket. Right. And that's sort of blown off in this hilarious way where in so many other movies, that would be many scenes of, should I make it so that we win the lottery? Like not to give any spoilers away, but he's just like, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to win the lottery. <laughs> and yet, and yet it doesn't really matter. It's a, the, the, the drama remains and they're well, and I also think it's a way to get in that, um, you know, from then on, they live in a really nice house and have really nice clothes. And, and you know, so 
it's just a way of like, okay, we, we want to get you to that place in this movie where you can, you know, enjoy the, the uh, production design porn, oh, the, you know, the costume the, porn. The tile, the tile, the rooms, the backyard. I I was, it's, yeah. you know, yeah, it was worth, you know, the ethical, eh, I'm just going to win the lottery piece of it. But, <laughs> but there is, you know, there's a Benjamin Button-ness to this of like, you know, they only have so much time in the middle. And right. so what do you do with that time? And is that what the love is? Like, is it more romantic because it's temporary? Mm-hmm. Oh, I just had to be, before we go on, I just had to re- remind myself, to me, the peak of this uh, this movie as conspicuous consumption is that there's a whole house hunting montage. Remember that? They just oh. go and look at houses after he went, and it's just like five minutes of them looking at houses. And I'm personally, as somebody who has a wife who spends half her life on Zillow, I, I, I understand this. Well, you'll laugh because I watch this you know, it's streaming right at this moment that we're recording this on HBO Max and my HBO Max froze and did like that buffering thing right in the middle of the montage. Mm-hmm. And I believe I yeah, <laughs> I believe I yelled not during the real estate montage. <laughs> don't stop now. Don't don't cut me. It was like like I was upset that like a sex scene had stopped or something. I was like, no, let me see all the beautiful houses. <laughs> I love these movies because the the metaphors are clear The like from the beginning. I don't know if I know why she loves him so much other than right. the fact that he is so special because of this problem, you know, and because he gets to come in with prior knowledge and because he's older and and yet it makes it seem like they're made for each other when in fact, right. perhaps she's just the girl that he happens to see first. That he did, whose bush he happened to land in naked. Excuse me. I, I don't mean to say that. There's another way I, <laughs> I can say this, but, um, it's true. What if he'd landed at, you know, in somebody else's yard? Yeah. And you, you can make a case that this is a deeply unhealthy relationship because once he does meet her as an adult and you remember there's a scene where he's at her house and he flips through her diary and her diary is like a crazy wall of I'm going to marry this guy. He's like my one true guy. He comes and visits me all the time. Yeah. It's it's obsessive. So maybe she's the damaged one here. Who knows? Well, it's also, you're talking about the grooming. Like at no point does he say, wow, this, because I keep showing up every few years or every few months or all this girl knows is to wait for my arrival. She's Mm -hmm. literally laid out clothes in the woods for me just in case I show up. And (laughs) maybe I should go away. And, And that's something that, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't come to him very quickly that this could be incredibly harmful to him. I mean, it is. Whatever. Yeah. Well, that's something that confuses me. How is he able to, it's set up that he is unable to control where or when he goes. So why is it that he keeps landing in the same damn bush in her meadow? How is it that he's able to keep coming back? I want to know the rules. Well, that would, that would imply that they are each other's the one. I mean, I think that's what it's supposed to do, which is if he's saying, you know, he, he goes back in time and and we'll find her, we'll find his mother. I mean, it does suggest that she, in some sort of spiritual way, is important. And I'll allow for that, but like, d- <laughs> do allow d- it. D- I'll allow, allow it. I will allow it, but I will not like it. And and the one thing I'll say about this movie that About Time also has is that it gives you the break of like the magical thing not being a secret in the community. Very quickly, Ron Livingston, who plays, you know, her friend, mm-hmm is let in on this, right? And as soon as, like, the rest of the world sort of knows, his father knows, like, his father knows, right? The, the, the community yeah. knows. And therefore, we can all share in this experience of not just one person knowing you're Superman. You know, it's not just Lois, it's everybody. And 
that part I, I, I do like to see how an entire community deals with Correct. this guy disappearing. And, and, you know, I will not give it away, but in one scene in particular, when he knows he's going to sort of blip away, he gathers a lot of friends over. And she says, well, why would yes. you gather the friends? And he says, because I, I like to know you're surrounded by people who love you. And, right. and, um, and right. that's a kindness, I think, that some of these magical movies don't always give you. Right. Everybody in his family eventually, and its circle of friends comes to know. And in fact, Dr. Kendrick, the Stephen Tobolowsky character, ends up winning some like major grant and wins a prize writing about this. So how come the whole world doesn't know? That's another thing that confuses me about this movie is how come there aren't like, you know, magazine writers banging on his door? How come he's not on the news? It seems to be this very well-kept secret. My, so my, I do have a take on this. I don't know if I'm right, but without spoiling anything, like my assumption with this is that, you know, he comes back sometimes long after the present, what we know to be the present, mm -hmm. long after we think he can come back. And my thought is maybe this doctor wins this later. Maybe, you know, we deal with, is this a multi-generational issue? Uh, and so that perhaps some of these things happen in a future we're not even seeing yet. That's my, mm. that's my, listen, I could be doing the work of the, of the, of the, the writers for them, but, but I, I thought I, this is really feels so out of time that he knows of a future that, that our present people do not even know that we have not yet seen. You are merging this movie with the sliding doors genre. With I the, know. You know, what, you know, you're, 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 you're mashing genres up and I, I, I'm not going to allow that. But, um, okay. <laughs> Sure. I'm just trying to make it make sense. But as you said, sometimes it's no, not making you know, sense. It doesn't, it, it doesn't, doesn't need make to, sense. It doesn't need to. You can chase down these uh, inconsistencies and want to know the rules. And they just change the rules as necessary to tell the story. One of my favorite lines in this movie, and it gives away a tiny bit, but not too much, is what if the baby traveled out of the womb? Oh, I, God, all the OBGYNs that are probably watching this and being like, say what? I mean, it is like... There's a lot of me that just wishes they did not try to give this, like, never name it. Never name it as a medical condition. Never name it as a, <laughs> and you solve so many problems. Right. Not to be ghoulish, but there's a plot point at a certain point in this movie where you just wonder if babies are turning up around various places around the world out of nowhere and it's just going on un unnoticed and unremarked. Baby time travel. <laughs> Yes, I think I think we've just come up with the next. It's not Boss Baby is the next big hit. It's Baby Time Travel. It, I did just think of one genre of magic that we is one of my favorites, but we haven't touched on, which is the I wish for perfection genre subgenre, which would be Witches of Eastwick, which would be Ruby, hmm. which would be Ruby Sparks, which would be Weird Science, a family favorite. Right. I will imagine a perfect man, woman, person, and all will be right with the world. And in fact, is it? Right. Now, are body switch comedies, are body switch movies uh, a subgenre of romantic movies or are they their own thing? Or is romance a subgenre of the body switch movies? I would say that if the body switch movie is about two friends or relatives, usually father, daughter, father, son, mother, daughter, learning about each other and being in each other's shoes, mm -hmm. even if there is a romance, it's not about that, right? I would say that if it is partners switching with each other or uh, I don't know where we would put, is it Zac Efron and is that 18 again? Like where we would put that, mm -hmm. 
Right, or 13 going on 30 is the one I'm thinking of. Yes, I think if one person is going back to themselves, and and I think that counts, but, you know, certainly not a um, a Freaky Friday situation because some, right. of, some of those spinoffs do have reboots, do have love stories. But yeah, I, I would right. absolutely say if I, the, the redoing it. And then, of course, there's a recent genre, I don't know what you would call it, which is I am a funny woman who got hit on the head and other things. And um, that uh, is starring Amy Schumer. And, right. and then isn't it romantic with Rebel Wilson, where both of them right. basically get knocked out and experience a different life. And I, I am a really like, isn't it romantic is sort of I mean, talk about playing with the genre like again, it has its moments of understanding exactly what it's making fun of, where she becomes, you know, for those who don't know, she gets hit on the head or hits her head on, I think it's a subway post and wakes up in a rom-com. And what is one of my favorite scenes in that movie is she has realized she has woken up in a PG 13 rom-com because every time she tries to sleep with Liam Hemsworth, it's just the next morning. Like she goes to bed and then she wakes up and it's the next morning. So she doesn't even get to experience it. So that that's another magic, you know, but it's, it's, uh, yeah. yeah. Well, I, you know, as we get more into the modern day, we get filmmakers who's, who start basically going meta and really self-conscious. And I, I would say that Palm Springs is a meta Groundhog Day romantic comedy. That sort of both has its cake and plays with it and talks about it too. So, yeah, I, I I don't think were there meta romantic comedies back in the 80s and 90s. No. Well, I mean, there might have been. I don't know that I would have realized they're meta at the time, but I think that 80s and 90s rom-coms and early 2000s, too, became so tropey in such a particular way yeah. that they became yeah. easier to be meta about. Right. That that, you know, you needed you needed Groundhog Day to get to Palm Springs and you needed, you know, so many movies to get to. You needed enough best friends who were focused mm-hmm. on their jobs or, you know, to get to an isn't it romantic. So, yeah, I, I think that this is a good time. It was a good time and is a good time to sort of poke at all of these things. But, uh, you know, going back to the, the sort of movie of discussion, I, I do think Kate and Leopold is also worth revisiting as a hmm. this these things don't the way in which it doesn't work that that movie. And it's a much lighter film than Time Traveler's Wife, which is not attempting right. to be to make you to make you laugh it's not, you know it's it's a it's a romantic drama but the the blending of time and you know it's not you know listen it, it doesn't always work and that's a, for for those i think that's a is that a 90s movie kate leopold but that's the way it doesn't work mm-hmm. on the creep factor too i'm thinking about the tv series the time traveler's wife and what that's going to be like rose leslie is playing claire i not well, familiar with so her. So I will say that having... Oh, she was on Game of Thrones. Oh, Rose Leslie from Game of Thrones. Yes, no. And I, I was a does. really passive Game of Thrones watcher where like mm. I sort of parenthetically titled that show, Who's That Guy? Because I never remembered who that guy was. <laughs> so Rose Leslie actually like... I, you were not alone. I Yeah, I was like, who's that guy? Uh, but she was very memorable to me and I, I'm excited to see her in this. I also think that who knows how it'll work out, but I think this is a concept... Mm-hmm. that in, a, in an age where we're probably more conscious of what's creepy and what's not, and also what does it mean to miss each other um, at different points in, in time, True. it could have, it could be really like, there could be a lot to work with, with the right adaptation. It's going to be on HBO Max. Uh, I don't know when it's going to be released. They're filming it. Uh, they filmed it last year. So it'll be, be coming up pretty soon. I wonder if when you turn this into a series, you start exploring the more comic 
aspects of his dilemma. Yeah, because the movie does not get into, I mean, a little bit it plays with the idea of what does it mean if he yeah. shows up naked in near a nightclub? What does it mean if he shows, you know, so much of the minor comedy in it is, is the nudity of it all. Right. <laughs> and finding and clothes. Not, not, not minor enough. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, there's a, there's a lot to work with. And I think um, I'm excited, cautiously optimistic, I'll say. I mean, this is, yeah. As we move from an era where two-hour movies are sort of the, the dominant form of entertainment consumption to an era that we're pretty much already in where we talk about TV series. Um, and that's what, you know, what's, what a lot of us are watching. And, and in fact, a lot of movies can, can and are getting repurposed as series. Uh, what does that do? How does that change the DNA of, of, of what they're doing? How does it, um, does it take it from one genre into another? I'll be very curious to see. Um, so I'm looking forward to that. I mean, I also think that this will be an audience that maybe watched Outlander, right? Yes. Which is a show of falling backwards and forwards in time so many times. And I mean, my gosh, I always think about the fact that if I fell backwards in time to like a hundred years ago, I'd be like, what's, I, I, first of all, I would not know botany like she does. I would die in like 25 mm -hmm. minutes. I would not, she, you know, these are characters who are very good at that. But like, I, I, I think I, I welcome and I'm interested in the idea of a character that does this within modern times where only within his life right. he's doing this. You know, he's not falling back into 1750. He's falling into 1995, perhaps. So like, that's interesting to me. Right. And Outlander would not have worked as a two hour movie. Or, you know, a feature film, I don't think. It would have been a very different animal. It would have had seven sequels. I mean, it yeah. would have it would have made somebody some money, but it, it, there's so little you can do in, you know, would have been a lot to get through. Well, next time we meet, we're going to be talking about a, we've talked a lot about Hollywood-made romances. Um, and last week talked about a classic British one. But I think for the next one, we're going to go someplace international. Um, and I still haven't decided what it's going to be. And maybe uh, subscribers to my newsletter will have some suggestions as to what foreign language romance movie does it for you. And what I want to talk to you about once we figure out which one is going to be is how their rules are different from the ones that we're used to with American versions of the genre. Because there are different rules and that'll be fun to discuss. And it would also be interesting to talk a little bit about some of the ones that have been redone for us. Yes. And how they may or may not work right. because of our sensibilities. Maybe we should just watch Kazan Cuisine and Cousins. That could be fun. Yep. This has been a, another episode of The Watchcast with Ty Burr of Ty Burr's Watchlist and my dear good friend Meredith Goldstein of the Boston Globe. Thank you so much for listening. That's all for today. This has been Ty Burr's Watchcast an audio companion to the Substack movie newsletter, Tiber's Watchlist. If you'd like more pop culture commentary and a guide to good movies in theaters and on demand, please feel free to check out my newsletter at tiberswatchlist.substack.com. Thanks for listening and have a great day. Hold up. 